The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. Our guest for this episode is Beth Grouse, the Chief People Officer from TripAdvisor. And we'll get to Beth shortly. But first, I want to tell you about our next podcast. And Russ Campanello, who heads up HR from iRobot, will be on episode three. Back to Beth Gross. She's someone who's moved up very quickly in her HR career, been quite successful. And I first asked her questions about how she did that. And she shares some interesting stories about the challenges she had early in her career and some opportunities and some key people that really influenced her early on. She also shares some great stuff about TripAdvisor's culture and values and specifically what she looks for when she hires candidates. I think you'll find that all very interesting. You'll also hear what Beth wished she knew when she was 30 years old. And lastly, she reveals a personal effectiveness trick that's kind of fun. And I bring you Beth Grouse. Well, it's great to have Beth Grouse, Chief People Officer from TripAdvisor, here at the headquarters at TripAdvisor, the, the incredible headquarters at TripAdvisor, which she's given me a tour of. It's very impressive. Hello, Beth. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. I hear this is your inaugural podcast. Well, to be honest, we um, yes, it is. We have this, and we did one other, actually, so there's already two coming. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having a great conversation today. Thanks for coming to visit us here at the Needham TripAdvisor headquarters. Thank you. Um, and thank you for making the time to do this as well. I know this is your, you're busy, a lot going on here at a fast moving company. You know, we, we got together, um, a couple of months ago with Elaine Varelis and you shared how you got into it. Before we talk about TripAdvisor, can you tell that interesting story about how you came to the HR function and maybe a little bit about how your career evolved too from there? But I think sure. the, the initial story was very interesting. Yeah, well, this was a whole big happy accident. As I think I told you over um, over lunch that day that you and Elaine and I had a good laugh over it because my original career aspiration was to be a large animal veterinarian, um, which had been the kind of story I told myself for my whole life was what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I went off to Cornell to be a biology major, and Cornell is this wonderful vet school on the campus of that beautiful uh, school up in Ithaca, New York, and I thought, this is, you know, I, I totally got this, 17 years old, I've got this all figured out, I'm going up to college, and the rest, as they say, is history, and, uh, you know, semester two in, I realized that I didn't really love being a hard sciences major, um, still love the idea of being with animals, uh, but didn't think I was going to make a profession of it, had no idea what I was going to do. Asked my parents, my dad in particular for advice, who said, pick a major that you love. So I... Uh, uh, follow your dream. Follow, follow your dream. Uh, and I became an English major with a triple concentration in women writers, poetry, and modern literature. And I distinctly remember my parents sitting at graduation, and they had a front row seat at graduation because my mom had uh, was had, was recovering from pneumonia, and so they got these uh, handicapped seats. So I had this bird's eye view in the stadium with thousands of other students graduating. And my father, like, just, like, wringing his hands, like, oh, my God, she's never getting off our payroll with an English major. Like, you know, and I graduated, I had no job. Um, but uh, I had this very happy series of events happen to me during college where I had some summer jobs, uh, one in retail. I was the, ended up working for a retail store, then becoming a manager for a now-defunct local chain of stores here in New England called Cherry Living Terrain. And, um, I had a temporary job that put me in my second temp assignment as the office manager at an um, executive search firm, a women-owned executive search firm. It was very ahead of its time in the late 80s, 
placing part-time and temporary mid to upper level executives, um, a company called the Pickwick Group that is located here in Wellesley. And I had these two experiences, this HR experience, and I um, parlayed that temp job with the Pickwick Group into going back every summer and every vacation and doing a variety of search and HR-related things, working for two really inspirational female entrepreneurs in the HR space. And this retail career um, that I really enjoyed but didn't think I wanted to make a full-time profession of it and uh, networked my way into my first HR job working for Macy's in New York as an HR business partner. And um, for the younger podcast listeners uh, who are tuning in today to hear this, um, that was the day really before the internet. And so you printed out a resume and you typed a cover letter on it typewriter and you put them in an envelope and then you just waited for someone to call you um and you know there was none of this sort of instant feedback email linked in uh you know very electronically connected but i got really lucky and i picked up and moved to new york um, and started there shortly after i graduated from college and worked for macy's um, in new york for seven years and i remember telling someone uh, the first year that we were hiring for christmas that macy's had never gone through I was a privately held company. We never had a layoff. And in the first 18 months of my tenure there, we went, uh, filed for uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and had a number of layoffs, and were bought by our biggest competitor, Federated Department Stores. And so here I was, this young kid, like not even two years out of college, um, going to a company that I thought was pretty stable and ending up um, really having the fortunate experience of a ton of business transformation that um, I now look back on with the benefit of hindsight and say, wow, that was like the best training I could have ever had, um, both in terms of exposing myself at a young age to the disruption of change and the way that industries consolidate and merge and disrupt and evolve, um, as well as having the um, really the opportunity to get jobs in an organization that was moving pretty quickly and uh, where my you know, managers would kind of look at me and say, like, we think she's smart enough to do this job and we think she's dumb enough to say that she will. Um, and so I had this, you know, really whole host of great jobs there uh, ending over a seven-year period. I was the, the HR business partner. I did special projects for the head of HR. I consolidated and merged stores um, up here in the Boston area. I used to joke that they'd sent me from the New York HQ because I was the only one that knew how to pronounce the name for the Boston towns. So you're like, Peabody. And, uh, you know, Worcester, uh, Worcester Bill Ricca. It was a tremendous start. Uh, and I just found that I just loved, just absolutely loved the profession. I ended uh, in that job as in the, the head of uh, training for all of the East Coast stores, learning development for all the East Coast stores, and then parlayed that into a number of other experience in um, managed services and uh, technology and biopharma. Uh, all of which have led me here today to be the Chief People Officer Supervisor, and I am celebrating my two-year anniversary in this Well, congratulations. Uh, in September of, uh, of 2017, so just a couple short weeks from now. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Well, we, uh, we know you head up the HR function here, but in layman's terms, or just in um, not HR speak, how would you describe what your role is inside this organization. Because sure. you know? well, I know. I, yes. Um, and I think my role here at TripAdvisor is a little different than probably many uh, HR organizations um, in other companies. So my title, uh, as you know, is Chief People Officer. I actually have three uh, distinct domain areas of responsibility. Uh, the first would be what I think most of our listeners would know as kind of the core uh, functions of HR. The HR business partner organization, total rewards, which is comp benefits and HR systems learning development, talent acquisition. Um, I also head up the um, 
office experience group here at TripAdvisor. So in many organizations, that's referred to as facilities, but we really believe that having um, great um, collaborative workspaces that have their own distinct personalities that reflect um, our travelers, reflect our employees, and reflect the parts of the uh, business and where we do business around the world is really important to employ productivity and collaboration. Um, and running our work sites like a, um, like a hotel with a concierge level of services to make employees' lives easier um, helps enhance productivity and um, therefore our business results. And so I lead up that group as well. And then the sort of third leg of that stool is a, a group that we call philanthropy and inclusion. It uh, started two years ago when I was here. It was confined to the TripAdvisor Charitable Foundation and all of our employee volunteer activities. And over the last, uh, I'd say, half a year, we've expanded the remit of that group to include a very specific focus on equality, diversity, and inclusion, both in terms of how we think about it internally to TripAdvisor and the experiences here, and then externally, you know, are we living our values in the world? So um, so a little bit broader than just yeah, the I didn't realize that. Yeah. dimensions of HR, and I like to think of it as a stool with really three very equal legs, um, you know, how we help employees work better in these cool, great spaces, how we um, you know, manage all the elements of the employee life cycle, um, uh, you know, from hire and training and development, um, all through when they ultimately go from TripAdvisor to something else, and then how we live our values internally and externally through the work of our foundation and our uh, quality and inclusion efforts. What's the employee experience like at TripAdvisor? From your view, and what, like, maybe where do you want to take it? Is it someplace higher, a higher level yeah, you want well, to go? You know, so, listen, I think this is a pretty, uh, this is a pretty neat place to work, and I am probably a bit biased in saying that because <laughs> I do work here. Um, I'm the head of people here, so I guess I would. Well, people I, do look happy. I, we I walked mean, in, and people are playing frisbee on the front lawn. So it looks like yeah, there, I mean, there is something yeah, to this. I mean, there is definitely. This is a very collaborative, collegial place to work. Um, we believe in a conversation-rich, documentation, and policy-like kind of framework, if I were to put it that way. So, for example, um, we uh, don't ha- we have beer on tap 24 hours a day in our two pubs that we have in our headquarter buildings, and we just trust people to manage it like adults, and they do. Um, so there are no big posted warning signs, and we don't lock down the tasks because we think people won't behave. Um, you know, we give people a lot of freedom and a lot of opportunity and a lot of amenities in a place like this to help drive productivity, productivity and collaboration. And you know, the frisbee that you saw on the lawn, in my view, you know, serves a couple of purposes. Number one, it gets people into community with each other, doing something that they love. Number two, it um, provides what you sometimes really need, kind of a mental and physical break from the work so you can get back to it in a rejuvenated way. And number three, it gets people up and moving, which is just good for their health. Um, So this is a place where we move fast. Um, The work is intense. Um, You know, we work hard and we play hard, as cliche as that sounds. Um, It is true. Um, It is a place where we want people to come to work and be happy. So I talked earlier about office experience and having, you know, on-site amenities and things that just help make life easier, like, you know, the mobile barber coming once a month or the opportunity to have a manicure on-site. Now, please pay for those things. But it just takes um, less time out of their day to do that. Um, And we're also a dog-friendly environment, most of our offices as well. Um, So uh, you will see around here dogs of varying shapes and sizes all of whom are well-behaved because, again, it is a very self-regulating community. People just don't bring in poorly-behaved dogs, um, which is why my dogs don't come in because they are poorly-behaved. <laughs> uh, but the people with well-behaved dogs bring the well-behaved dogs in. And, you know, we, um, 
And to the extent that a dog is bothersome to someone in their workspace, and a colleague says, hey, like, I'm afraid of dogs, I'm allergic to dogs, um, what we find is that for the most part, a colleague will say, I understand that, and I'm not going to bring my dog in because I don't want to disrupt their work experience. So um, there's that kind of give and take here, which I think is um, really special um, and really unique and something that we really try to nurture. You know, it sounds like a lot of things you mentioned attract millennials, you know, the environment, the kind of the policy, what you do here um, to give people freedom and amenities. What else keeps people here engaged in TripAdvisor? We're a very values-driven organization. So we spent um, a substantial amount of time, almost two years ago, shortly after I started, um, uh, you know, for at that time a 15-year-old company uh, with a lot of folks who had been around since the early days. Um, it, we felt it was really important to um, document what our values were, both so we could have a consistent way of living those values, and then as new people came in, that we had a consistent way of articulating those values. Um, so I think being a values-based organization does attract employees of all um, types, millennials and non-millennials. Um, we're a very fast organization. Speed wins has been one of our values since the very earliest days. There's a handwritten note on our CEO, Steve Coffer's door. If you walk by it on your way out today, you'll see it. It says Speed wins. It's been there since you know the very earliest days of this company and his very first office in a different building here. Um, you know, this is a place where people come because they love travel and they love the opportunity to help travelers around the world share experiences and enrich their lives through um, seeing different parts of the world, um, whether they are very far from where they live or right in their own backyard. And that just sort of joy and love of travel, I think, is something that we all um, we all feel equally, and we really love just making the world a better place for our traveler community, and I think we have a lot of fun doing it. Right. Um, I noticed that, um, you know, the brand is someone that everybody knows. TripAdvisor is well-known. You know, the advertising campaign, I noticed as uh, somebody that was interested in uh, animals and vet being a veterinarian, the owl is oh, now owl. front and center, yeah, and I'd really like to know who brought that concept back to the organization. Um, that was a pun. That was a bad pun. But, um, a pun, um, of the, <laughs> pun of the podcast. I don't really want to know. But um, tell us about some of the other brands because the TripAdvisor is well known. Some of the other brands, people, some of our listeners might not know about. What sure. else is yeah. TripAdvisor involved um, in? So and TripAdvisor is, I think, listen, most people know TripAdvisor because of the, the travel opinion and researching site. And I'll say a few words about that is I think you know, even today, many people think of us as a place where you go research your travel before you book, but um, a big part of our business is actually the ability to book on TripAdvisor, either through one of our partners, another online travel agency, or direct to hotel, or directly through our TripAdvisor instant booking product. So we've really sort of evolved um, over our years from being a review opinion site to a review opinion and book. Transaction now. Transaction right. uh, network. Um, and that TripAdvisor umbrella is... Um, broad. But we have other brands, as you uh, wisely know as well. Um, some of the more well-known of those brands is a brand called Viator. So that's a, a company that uh, does curated tours and attractions. So we sell tickets. Um, so skip the line at the Vatican if you're going to Rome or um, tickets to a duck tour here locally in Boston. You can buy directly um, on, on the app. Um, so Viator's part is a standalone brand, a company we bought a few years back, um, but part of our broader TripAdvisor attractions um, platform. We have um, a company, actually two parts of our company in Boston on Causeway Street, um, uh, Smarter Travel that has a, uh, it's a media company that has a whole bunch of brands under it. One that some of the listeners might know is a website called Cruise Critic, where if you are a cruise aficionado, it is a place where you can 
uh, both research cruises and there's an incredibly active community, cruise community um, on that site. Um, another one of the Smarter Travel Grants is Oyster, which is a high-end curated uh, photographs of, of hotels um, that really give the viewer um, you know, something much richer than you'd get just from this kind of stock photography. Um, and then we have a vacation rentals business as well. So, um, you know, both as TripAdvisor vacation rentals, but there are some legacy brands like Flipkey that people may part of that, yeah. Um, that uh, that are part of that that family as well. Um, and then if you travel outside of the U.S. and you're in Europe, um, and particularly in Paris or across France or uh, Spain, you will see a website called La Fourchette or The Fork, uh, which is um, a restaurant business that is really big in Europe and that is also a TripAdvisor company. So um, we're kind of, you know, all, try to be all things to all people uh, in throughout that travel life cycle. And so I think your point is a really good one because um, you know, a lot of people think of us as TripAdvisor, the site, um, but our, you know, our span is like literally dozens of sites. And some of them might not work here. It sounds like some of them are standalone organizations. Some of them might be housed here as well, yes, headquarters. Exactly yeah, right. yeah. So our Viator business, our tourism attractions business, um, the, the, although there are Viator folks in a lot of our locations, they're sort of core uh, place and locations, San Francisco uh, and Las Vegas, our La Fourchette business. Um, is headquartered in Paris, and then Holiday Lettings, uh, Legacy Holiday Lettings businesses in our London, Oxford office. So we uh, definitely have uh, businesses all over the world, but all of whom still are under that TripAdvisor umbrella and really feel like part of that same TripAdvisor family. Um, what else about TripAdvisor do you think people might want to know that you know is not common knowledge from an insider? Yeah, so because I think there's a lot of intrigue about your organization. You yeah, know, so you hear a lot about an it. Interesting place. So we started. Uh, so our headquarters are here in Needham, Massachusetts. Uh, we are back to our roots, being in Needham. We moved into this fabulous building just over two years ago. But we were started here locally in Needham uh, by a trio of co-founders um, over a pizza shop here in Needham um, in a very very small office space and. Um, uh, so when we moved into this building, we had been headquartered in a sort of small uh, office parky kind of building right down the street in Newton for a number of years. It was really a sort of homecoming for us here to come back to our roots in Needham with this kind of big, fabulous uh, headquarters. But, you know, I think we were really also you know, feel very humbled to be back in Needham, the place kind of where it all began. Um, two of our three co-founders are still with the company. Amazing. Um, so Steve Coffer uh, founded the company. Um, with uh, Langley Steiner, who now is the CEO of CarGurus, and uh, Nick Shandy, who's our head of technology, our head of engineering. Uh, Nick is uh, uh, here in this right in an office right on the other side of this wall from us, and Steve is uh, Steve is right over uh, about about twenty yards away from where we're recording this today as well. Um, I think some of the viewers may also not know about TripAdvisor is that uh, you know I think when you see business like TripAdvisor, particularly one that's so known for the reviews and opinions, you think. Wow, that was a great idea that someone had to put this, you know, open up this portal where consumers could write reviews on hotels. And that actually wasn't our original business model. What was it? Uh, our original business model, and so Steve tells this story famously. And if you go to YouTube, you can see many uh, clips of Steve Coffer telling the story of um, how TripAdvisor was founded. And I'm sure he'll do it way better than I will. Um, but the Steve was booking a trip to Mexico with his wife. They went to a travel agent, as many people did, in the year 2000 or 1999 said, give me brochures for the high-end, mid-range, and low-end resorts. And Steve got the brochures and took them home and was leafing through them and thought, wow, they all kind of look alike with just different price points. Same wine, same beach, same, you know, attractive 
uh, you know, uh, food items photographed, you know, probably the nicest hotel room in the place. Like you said before, one. stock photos. All stock photos. And uh, so his wife said to him at that time, hey, you know, there's this thing called the internet. You should go and see if you can find out any more about these reviews. And what he saw online when he did that was just travel webs, travel agencies starting their websites, posting pictures of these same brochures that he'd already seen. So his conclusion was not super helpful. So his original view was that they were going to start a site where they would put... Um, Publish uh, those sort of aggregated reviews from places like Folders or Frommers or any of those travel guidebooks that we used to all when we were traveling years ago. To be a clearinghouse for all that. And to really get aggregate all that stuff together. And at one point, um, uh, when the business actually wasn't doing particularly well, uh, someone had the idea, let's open a comment box on one of these pages. And it just took off like wildfire. And I think those are some of the moments uh, for any startup business, but certainly for our business where... Um, you just follow the idea where it takes you. And I think it was, you know, kind of right idea, right time at the real, it's amazing to say that 17 years ago was in some ways like the beginnings of the consumer internet as we know it, and this level of connectivity and community. And, um, you know, so here we are in 2017, and the TripAdvisor platform of reviews, unbiased reviews and opinions from a community um, is a platform now that, as you know, and as I think as our listeners know, uh, you know, is shared by countless businesses in countless industry verticals now. Um, right, you don't want to know what an organization says about themselves. You want to know what their what clients and customers say about it. Community says. Right. And I think, you know, we're really proud of this community that we have. We have over half a billion reviews and opinions. We hit our half billion review mark um, several months ago and, and growing every day. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's still something that we're really, really proud of. So it was innovation. You know, it was a simple idea, but it, it took off. What do you do to instill that same culture of innovation here? Because I'm sure that's something you want to keep yeah, you know, happening, I mean, right? It's one of the unique things about TripAdvisor is that we feel like a pretty non-hierarchical place, so good ideas can come from anywhere, and we are pretty explicit about that in our values and saying that, you know, we believe in transparency, we want people to speak up and lean into the conversation, irrespective of the role that you have in the organization, the level that you're at in the organization, and we really expect that that happens. So this isn't the kind of organization like perhaps in some other companies where, um, you know, ideas get generated at the top of the house or get credit taken for at the top of the house. So this is a pretty democratic place um, in that way. Um, you know, and then we do other things. And we just had a, a whole group of over 100 interns in here this summer, and we have uh, had a week-long intern hackathon, you know, where we're having interns in these um, uh, groups, mixed groups, product, marketing, engineering, really coming up with great product ideas, many of which you know may make it to the site someday. Um, and we are constantly innovating and um, having product reviews and letting people service their ideas up for consideration. Um, and we really do try to keep that spirit pretty fresh here. It made me think about what's, is there a leadership philosophy here that is kind of stated at a trip. Do you call it trip, or is it always uh, trip so, advisor? No, so no, that's a good question. We call it trip. Uh, we definitely call that it. That is the trip. nickname. Not, that is the nickname. Okay, good. I want to be cool, so I'll call it trip from now on. Just, I, okay. we want to save more room for your comments. Uh, so if I say, <laughs> of course, this conversation is taking all away from it right yeah, now. So trip, but, but trip, um, go. Uh, or TA, uh, or TAMG, Tripadvisor Media Group. Uh, but I digress. Um, no, we do call it trip here internally um, a lot. And uh, you know, to your question about the leadership philosophy. Uh, I guess I'd say a couple things. Number one, I think it starts with our values. Um, you know, people who love travel, who want to be fast but do really good work. Um, we absolutely believe in transparency, um, in the sort of giving and sharing of ideas. Um, we believe in, um, you know, a uh, 
a diverse workforce and a diverse uh, traveler community and really kind of honoring that. Um, you know, this is a fun group of people. Um, and we really do try to live, um, you know, by our six, six stated values, um, I think, all the time. I think one of the things, not exactly the question that you asked, but I do think it bears noting that I think makes us different than some places that I've worked, is this is, and I alluded to it earlier, it's a very non-hierarchical place. I mean, employees feel like they can go to whoever is the person that can best solve their problem, and senior people can go to the person who's got the complaint. And so, I mean, I've... You know, or the idea, or the question, or the concern. So I routinely have people swing by my office saying, hey, do you have a couple minutes? Or talk to me by the salad bar, giving me feedback. And um, and they'd be outside of HR and well, a yeah, different level in the yeah, organization. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. And, um, and I think that that is something that I'm really, um, really proud of this leadership team because I think we do try, genuinely try hard to foster that sense of, community here. Is that hard though when, you know, like somebody like you and other senior leaders here, you're well known throughout the organization. You're often speaking. Is it hard to manage the um, amount of contact you're receiving from employees? Like, So, it... no. And I say that because I think when people come to me and they want to share an idea or ask a question or just have some face time, um, it comes from a very good place. And there's usually something, even if it's not in that moment, that is useful to me, to my team, to the organization. There's usually the genesis of something really good there. And so I think I think actually to the contrary, it is easy, particularly when you've got a very full day, to go, oh, like I don't have time for this right now. Um, but I also think most people understand that. And if you say, hey, listen, can we schedule, can we schedule this conversation tomorrow or next week? Like this just isn't a good time. Um, you know, they're generally there because they've got something really hard to share. And I think as a leader, you know, part of what our responsibility is is to listen. Right. Um, and to prioritize that kind of feedback, and so rather than to view it as a distraction or encumbrance, but as a you know sort of beneficial input to how we're thinking. And listen, there's more efficient ways you can do it as well. You know, so I try to get out and you know talk to employees, have focus groups. Um, you know, when I'm in the offices, just have lunches with you know an assortment of people. You create forums where people can yep. Forums for for dialogue. I ask some questions about EHR function. I know you do more than HR here, but um, I think there's a lot of our listeners that would love to hear some of your philosophies about HR and your approach. And um, in fact, I have a question to kick it off. This is the nearer question of the okay. podcast. The Northeast Human Resources Association has submitted one for okay. us, and um, it is that question: What things would you recommend to young professionals interested in moving in to this function of HR? I know you don't call it HR always, but um, what advice would you give? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say get your foot in the door wherever you can um, and don't be too selective about the role. And so what do I mean by that? Um, we have folks come to TripAdvisor and talk to us in HR, either right out of college or with other work experiences who say, gee, I'm really interested in going in this domain space in HR. Um, you know, if you interested in doing that and someone offers you a job as a recruiting coordinator, don't believe that that's beneath you. Get in and prove your, um, prove your abilities because you'll see a whole lot of the function being inside of the function. Um, I think be persistent um, and try to find a company that, uh, where you can have a, uh, either a good first experience or a good multitude of experiences. 
for HR, and I'd say this really for any function, it so matters the person that you work for. I mean, your managers can either make or break your ability to learn, your interest in your um, velocity of progression inside of an organization. And so um, being really selective and thoughtful about the person that you work for who's going to understand and, and give you those experiences. You know, you gave the example earlier in your career. Yeah. We worked that for the recruiting firm. and Yeah, that was well, 100%. A... And I have to tell you, in my first job at Macy's, the uh, the group vice president of HR for the for all the Macy's stores at that time, um, you know, really believed in me as a you know I mean as a relatively young kid out of college and gave me some opportunities to work directly for her that um, I am forever grateful for because they gave me experiences that I just wouldn't have otherwise had and having a manager um, who believed in me and said this kid's got some capability I'm gonna take her under my wing and you know try to make something of her when like I mean I had no experience I was like fresh out of college and I had some you know my, my temp experience during the summers and that ultimately came turn into her part-time job um, but and I didn't know I wasn't smart enough at the time to recognize that I had been that that was so important but knowing what I know now like having those great mentors in your life and picking those bosses who are going to believe in you and when you make a mistake are going to say, it's okay, this is all part of the learning, and are going to pick you up and not let you get defeated by that, especially early in career, I think is really, really important. You know, looking at your career, you have got very senior HR positions pretty early in your career. Where did that confidence come from? Is it from that experience then, or where, like, where do you point to? You look like the kind of person that's always been confident, for example. No, I mean, I, mean, I, so I think I really enjoy what I do, and so it's easy to be excited about it, and it's easy to be confident, but um, there are lots of times, I mean, listen, there are times every day now that I come across things that I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I know how to do that, um, or I think I know how to do that, or I think this is the right direction, but it's not. Um, you know, but it doesn't. I think we all have those moments of self, self-doubt, right? And so surrounding yourself, like hiring people who are smarter and better than you, number one, is like the best thing that you can do. And like building a great team, which I have been able to do here um, at TripAdvisor, build a great team of HR professionals, both the, uh, the, my direct reports and their teams. Oh, I'd like to want to, uh, before you finish, yeah. I want to get what you look for in HR yeah. talent. So okay, we won't be able to have that. that. All right, go ahead. Question, but, no, I mean, like, I think early on, frankly, you know, your question about confidence, you know, I was thrown into this situation with Macy's where it was complete chaos. Um, and I say that only in the most positive of ways, going from privately held to bankrupt to acquired by your biggest competitor in such a short period of time. It was kind of all I knew, you know? And, and the speed and probably the speed helped, right? You didn't have time to worry about things. <laughs> and, and I mean, so, you know, sort of a funny story today, I mean, I used to joke was because I was from Boston and I knew how to say PV. But, you know, at 24 years old, I was up here, like, closing half of the Jordan Marsh stores, like, telling these seasoned store managers, so the company has made the decision we are going to close your store, and I am the messenger. You know, I was like this kid. Like, I would go stay at my parents' house, you know, like, during these, you know, during these business trips. Uh, like, true story. Um, and my mother would make me dinner and do my laundry, and it was awesome. Um, but, you know, when it was just sort of like, okay, this is what you're going to do when you've got a manager that's confident that you can do it. You become confident. Um, and I've certainly made some mistakes along the way. And again, knowing that you know, you've got a boss that will say, you know, any group of colleagues around that you would go, okay, probably not your best move today, but like we're going to come, you know, we'll, we'll, you'll live to see another day. Um, you know, I think helps. If you could write a letter to your 30 year old self, what would it be about your career? Your, and, oh, yeah. oh, about my career. Okay. Oh, maybe it's about something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> podcast, right? um, you know, so it's a great question. 
because when I came into this job at TripAdvisor, um, I realized that there was so much that I didn't know. And I grew up, uh, grew up professionally uh, pretty much through the HR generalist domain. Um, as I think a lot of folks do who want to become head Recruiting or generalist, it seems to... Recruiting yeah. or yeah. Recruiting experience in my background, I had a, a, a fairly sizable level of exposure to organizational development, organizational design, learning, I've been a director of training agencies. Um, but the one piece of the puzzle that I really never filled in in terms of sitting in the chair was a total of words. Um, uh, benefits, compensation, executive compensation. You never had that discipline specifically. I never had that yeah. discipline specifically. And I will tell you, Dave, no one ever said to me, hey, by the way, it would be a really good idea if you went and had one of those jobs for a year just to see what life is like on the inside of that function, part of the function. When I got to this job, I realized that, wow, if I had gone like, done a year or two in exec comp or broad-based comp back in my 30s, like some number of years ago, um, it would have served me well. The, it, it, my learning curve would not have been as steep in that part of the HR space coming in. So I guess I would say to any HR generalist who aspires to be in the top job, go get a job in comp. It's like, like ask for a comp rotation, get yourself the exposure. Uh, it's especially at the exact comp level because you will need it when you get into the head of HR job. And it's a bit of this catch-22. You don't get exposed to the exact comp stuff until you're in the top job. And when you're in the top job, you need to have exposure to the exact comp stuff. So it's a paradox. Job. So it's a paradox. And um, you know, in the way I think that we solve for that, and what I wish I had known was to really actively seek out opportunities for that exposure, ideally to sit in a chair doing that for a year or more, um, would have been in, 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 an invaluable asset. Um, I learned the hard way, mm. but I would have preferred, you know, the hard way meaning just the learning curve was like so steep as if to be a vertical. Um, but I, learning the easier way over a longer way of time would have been less painful. Would, would you, what do you think about people coming out of other functions outside of HR into HR? It's awesome. You do, you, I do. You, you pursue that for I people, do, yeah. Because I think that at the end of the day, we are here to help the business firm. And anyone that said, and I think, you know, when I think back about when I started my HR career and, you know, people would interview and say, well, you know, I love people or like I'm really interested in recruiting. And I think one of the fundamental shifts that's happened over, over certainly the course of my career is that, you know, we are a business enablement function. We are no longer a support function. And when people say, oh, you know, you're a support function, I'm like, no, 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 we are a business enablement function. Like our lever is people. And, um, but I think that any HR professional who has lived in the business before and really understands kind of what your programs look like, what the people impacts look like. What the needs are, what right. What the needs are yeah. when you're running a business. Um, I think those experiences can only be accretive. And I guess I would sort of amend my earlier answer about a comp and exec comp to say, even better if you can go do a rotation in business. Um, because I just think walking in those shoes makes you a richer HR professional. You know, I noticed that not a, maybe you disagree, I don't, I don't know, but I don't see a lot of CEOs coming out of the people function or the HR function. I, is that, do you agree with that I too? That's a fair I haven't, statement. I can't yeah. think of any. Yeah, and I think Why is that? Yeah. And can, is it bad? Should we change it? How do we change it? You know, I guess yeah. all those questions. Um, so I think, you know, the reason is most HR folks, unless you have gone through a, um, Unless you've been in the business and you haven't been in HR, you know, like you've not run a full stack PL. You know, you've not had to make the business trade-offs between sales and marketing and product and you know, are you gonna spend money on this kind of advertising versus that kind of advertising? What partnerships are you gonna do with? How are you acquiring things? I just think 
it's a different set of experiences when you're a general manager, and I do think that those things are necessary to be a good CEO. Conversely, I think most CEOs have never had any experience in, as in, a, in the HR domain, and so one of the things that I think is really important is um, relationship between the, the CEO and the head of HR, and ideally the sort of triumvirate between the CHO, the CEO, the head of HR, and the CFO. Um, and and that bipartite is that the word I'm looking for? It's not yeah. really a partnership. It's a, a, a three-way conversation. Um, and um, because I think really good CEOs recognize that they can't have had all of the experiences, and they rely on their HR leader as a partner, as a confidant, and they expect their HR leader to have fluency in the business. I mean, Steve expects me to know enough about the business so that my opinions are steeped in that rationale first. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's uncommon to have few CHROs then go directly to the CEO chair because I just think some of those relevant experiences that you need. Um, you just tend not to get you, get, you get them a different way, but you tend not to get them as directly as, as CEOs. We started to go to it. And, um, the, what do you look for in talent in, in HR when you're hiring? When I'm hiring, I think the first thing I look for is a real learning agility. Um, you know, is the person confident but humble, uh, flexible and wanting to learn, hungry to be part of the team. So that's sort of not the we mentality versus the me mentality. Um, someone who is really gets excited about the opportunity to use people strategies to help move a business forward. I mean that and, and the person that can make that linkage and really understand how there's they can add value in that process. Um, like those are kind of the intangible things that I look for. Can you get that in interviewing? Can you get at that stuff you think? Yeah. I think that you can. And I think the truth of the matter is that um, the interview process isn't a one and done. And most good interviewers, groups of good interviewers can get a good sense of that. But, you know, I think that the reference check is important too. You know, and I think understanding how, um, you know, really understanding so how someone else experienced this person in their workplace, recognizing that no two workplaces are alike, you know, no two leads are alike. Um, but I think you can get a pretty good sense of that. And, you know, I think the other thing that we've tried to do on our team uh, uh, is not to have everyone be exactly the same. You know, like when we're hiring, uh, you know, sometimes the conversation we have is like, is this person going to break a little glass? You know, like, because that's okay. Mm. You know? Because so you want to move fast here. Speed is important, faster. right? We want someone who's got, an, who's got a totally different way of looking at things because the debate and the dialogue and the diversity of opinion gets to the best outcome. Right. You said that at the beginning when you talked about, you know, diversity and inclusion. Is yeah. And so I, I do think, and I recently had this conversation with um, a, a group of folks that I was on a panel. You know, I do think this sort of interview for fit is, um, in some ways, can be a very dangerous path because you end up, you can end up with a lot of sameness. And I think that's not always good. And I think this deliberate decision around how you recruit for not just things that will work in your environment, but also purposeful difference um, is important too. You've worked in a lot of different industries. And um, sometimes we hear from HR people that are looking to change roles and change industries. Going to biotech, you worked in life sciences, yeah. biotech, which yeah. is one that's yeah. a big target. This is tech, travel, hospitality. I don't know, you probably a match for you in there. Yeah. So TripAdvisor. Um, what's your feeling about um, hiring HR talent, maybe other talent too, from different industries and how trans? I mean, you have done this well. So I, I was wondering 
What would you say to people that want to make that shift from different industries? Uh, so I think it's a great question, and I, I, I guess I have two answers for that. The first is that I actually have two resumes side by side, someone who's done a lot of the same and someone who's done more different. I will always bias to the person who's done more different. Um, so when we're looking to build our own HR team here, we aren't just recruiting from travel or technology. We've got people with lots of different backgrounds because diverse perspectives and different yields better outcomes. I mean, we really, really do believe that, and I'm not just saying this over and over again because, like, I get a prize at the end of this podcast if I say you it do. Sometimes. You do get a prize, but uh, oh, I do. Oh, all right. Uh, oh, 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 are we done? <laughs> I'll, I'll wait till the end of the podcast. So, you know, but with that, I also think that there is this purposeful, that you shouldn't stay in one place for too long. You know, my I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. My brother-in-law, who's been with one company for the entirety of his career, um, uh, you know, when he hit about year 11 or 12 with that company, I remember saying to him, you're at a crossroads, it's now or never. And if you don't leave now, you're going to be there for the rest of your life. And he chose the rest of his life path because that felt comfortable for him. But I do think there is a, just like there is a danger in job hopping every 18 months or two years, I also think you can overstate a welcome um, in one industry or one And it's not even, you're saying more than not overstaying your welcome. It's really about preparing you for the future yeah, I just think you don't, with more experiences. You don't grow and develop and get exposed to either different businesses or different people. And like the multitude of those touch points just makes you... He broadens your perspective. Right, and more prepared for different things that might happen. Right. Um, listen, I think I've been able to transit. I mean, there's, although the industries have been different, and a lot of the terms and the acronyms and the you know the the things have been different. Like the core way you think about how you leverage people in organization is the same. Um, and honestly, a lot of the core learnings um, transcend industry around the importance of having great leadership talent and leadership really being a multiplier on an organization and not and preparing an organization for change and really doing that purposefully and recognizing the change is something to be embraced and planned for like any other business condition and not something that's foisted upon you. Um, and um, you know and I think the skills um, you know are the, the core skills are relatively consistent. So um, so I think diversity of industries that is is a positive, not a negative. What is the biggest change? And you talked about some of these already. Uh, biggest change you've seen in in HR in the last ten years, and maybe what what do you see changing again in the next ten years? One of the things that comes to mind is how people are viewing performance appraisals. I know we've talked about that in the past, but it might be something else that's you know you're looking to and say, you know, this is this has been a big change, and I think this is where it's going. Well, you know, I guess I answer. There's sort of two things that jump out to me, and I'll answer them without, uh, in, not in any order of importance. And the first is the use of uh, workforce analytics and data in the people space. Um, and you know, I think 15, 20 years ago, you know, HR was this very touchy-feely, soft space that people who liked being people went into, and it was kind of very amorphous. But now we've got the ability through um, our HRIS tools and through all of the data analytics to really do predictive analytics on people. And I don't think a lot of companies do it well. I'll tell you, I don't. I think we're at the beginning steps here at TripAdvisor, although we're thinking very seriously about it and building capability, uh, both technical capability and people capability in order to do that. But I think, you know, over time, the use of HR being a data-driven organization um, as much as a um, people-driven organization, I think we're just going to continue to see that enhance and accelerate. Um, you know, and the other thing is I think people just communicate differently now um, with the advent of the internet and in the last 10 years, smartphones. And how people consume information is just different. 
So when I started out in my career, you know, you would do training, and you would sit people in the classroom, and that's how you communicate to them. Or you'd send them a very long email, or there'd be a big meeting. But that's not how, you know, I've got three children. My oldest is, a, is entering high school this year, and, you know, I look at how she consumes information. It's through videos, you know, short bits. Mm. Um, it is mobile-enabled. It's in her hand. It's multi multimodal, you know, media, uh, text, uh, voice. Um, and I think we, we are seeing that, you know, come into like how we deliver learning to this organization, how we deliver information to our organization, how we communicate with you, how we give feedback, you know? So, um, and I think we're really just sort of scratching the surface. I think it's going to, the world will look really, really different in that space in 10 years. And we'll kind of look back on those binders that we used to have with training materials and go, oh, isn't that great? I remember those old days when they used to do it that way. Because it, you know, it will be here in your hand. Right. I'm holding up my phone for those of you in podcast. I can confirm she did that. In going forward, just more of that? Or is there any, can you say anything more about what you see down the down the road a little yeah, bit I mean, here. Listen, I mean, I do, I mean, I'll sort of wonder aloud with you, like, is the, you know, is the way that we give feedback, um, you know, fundamentally evolving to a much more real-time on-demand, video-enabled, quick-touch, you know. Um, it seems it, you know, it seems it like, is. yeah. Um, you know, I think... That, There's a lot of success that we're starting to hear from different yeah. organizations. Um, I think, you know, how we, and, and I was, um, I think... The other thing about it is, you know, work just never gets turned off, you know. So I, you know, I do think about my, you know, my own parents, you know, when they were working many, many years ago. I mean, they just didn't have the ability to, to bring home work with you. And right. Move away. You turn know, off the switch. Turn off the switch. Once you left the door, right? And you, uh, and you left. Um, and you know, so I, I'm really excited to see the, the trends going forward. You know, another thing that I think, you know, about is that we're moving in some parts of our economy to a more gig-based economy. You know, so. Um, you know, people who rent a rooms in a home as part of their income and maybe drive for driving services as part of their income and who pick up jobs on a, uh, you know, on, on an internet job, you know, and so what applications does that have inside of companies, you know, do we move toward a more gig economy inside of companies and do we think about people over in the next 10 years um, will it be less of a traditional, you come in and do the same job 40 hours a week, or will it be more of a gig-based where people mm. are cobbling together Rotations. projects and tasks at their own will um, versus the company saying, here's your role. So I, um, you know, I, a number of uh, my HR uh, colleagues uh, from the West Coast and I have been actually having this conversation lately, and, um, you know, I think that so it's an interesting it's an interesting question mark for the future around how organizations organize work and distribute work um, and will will it change I think we're in for some changes it sounds like it's a strategy to retain talent too mm-hmm. because you can find instead of somebody going somewhere else you can find them yeah. something new inside your organization right. so yeah, it keeps it fresh and there's challenges of course but I, but yeah but you know the, I think the question is how, how do you do it um, you know, how do you manage supply and demand you know, mm. of projects and skills. Mm. And I'm not sure any organizations figured that out. And ramping but, people up and, yeah, yeah quickly. But I yeah. think it's going to be a really interesting you know, thing to, to, to keep our eye on for the next decade. Who do you look to uh, look to for thought leadership? Maybe in HR, maybe in just regular leadership? Yeah, so, um, you know, so listen, I've had the benefit of having some really great managers. In you told our, us about at least yeah, two of them. Some not so great managers. Um, you learn from those too, and I learned from those too. Um, and you know, there are times when I think to myself, "How would I, in my own experiences, how I, how would I want to experience this?" You know, both plus and minus in terms of you know the people that people that I look up to, um, and um, and and I apply those in, in my uh, in my daily 
my daily world. Um, you know, I mean, listen, I think I find leadership examples to look up to in a lot of places, um, not all of them, many of them not in the business world, um, you know, in, uh, in sports and athletic performance, in, um, in my community, and people who are really just doing selfless things around, you know, trying to better the community. Um, teachers that teach my kids in school uh, in a way that like gets them curious about learning and understanding new things and um, you know so I try to be open and opportunistic about seeing those things and considering like is that could I be doing something better or how do I reflect that in, in my own work? Look for it in yeah, not the usual places listen, sometimes. One great person that I can say this person embodies it all I tell you. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and then you can sell this product for a lot of money. Um, What's the answer, Beth? What's I don't the answer? Have it for you, Dave. I don't have it for you today. That's for our next part. <laughs> What's the craziest HR story you've ever had? You can you don't you can be very discreet on when it was in your career or where. We don't need to know all that. So but it wasn't here at TripAdvisor. I like to ask this question. All right, good. That's good. It was several jobs ago. Um, and you know, it's funny you ask me this question, and of course, I'm like, oh, well, there's this one, and then in my brain, it's like, or this one, or this other one. Or this other one. <laughs> Every HR person can write a book, right? Those of us who have done this for a long time say, like, wow, you know, you could really write a book. I mean, we've probably all said it at one point in time. I mean, listen, I think that they often cluster around inappropriate personal relationships um, that are accidentally in display on display for one's co-workers that's quite delicate and the way you phrase that and I've had seen seen or heard about that fortunately haven't seen it but heard about it secondhand at least three or four times with sort of varying degrees of awfulness um, oh, wow. in my career so um, but uh, you know that's Sure, we've all seen it, so. <laughs> That's such a secret life hack. Oh, my secret life hack. My children and my colleagues tease me about, um, so I'm going to, so everyone listen up because this is really going to enhance your productivity, is um, that on your phone, you can do almost anything with voice texting. So I answer emails in voice text, I text in voice text, um, and I'll ask Siri to do things for me. So I'll say, Siri, can you set me up? a reminder at six o'clock tomorrow night to pick Jennifer, who's my oldest daughter, up from softball. And I'll just press my voice and she'll say, and she'll go, okay, I'll remind you. And then it will come up. So I don't have to do any typing, which is um, great because I now sadly need glasses to read. And so very often I can't see the small letters on my phone. So being able to speak into the I didn't know you could do that. You can actually just say to Siri. I'm going to demonstrate for our podcast. This is Watch. Okay. Siri, please make an appointment for me to see Dave Hennessy at 5 p.m. Okay, I can create your meeting. Note that you already have an appointment about TripFest at 5 p.m. Shall I schedule it anyway? Oh, it tells you yes. have a conflict. Your appointment is scheduled for 5 p.m. today. Well, what a nice commercial yeah, for Siri and the iPhone. With TripFest, which is that we're having a little uh, employee... What a great demo. This is amazing. This is, this is real. Um, but, I, but honestly, like my, my kids and my and my team make fun of me all the time that I like voice text stuff. Now, you, I will tell for, for listening audience, you do actually have to reread it because the, sometimes Siri or whomever your voice texting utility is will misrepresent what you've said. And so it can come out a little crazy. Um, but it is a super time saver um, for me. I didn't know about that thing that would put it in your calendar. That's good. I like yeah. that a lot. Okay, uh, when's the last time you failed at something, and how did you overcome it? Okay, what time is it today? <laughs> or doubted yourself. You did say that. It happens all the time. Yeah, you know, Can you think I, of anything? that? I think I doubt myself every day. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, being a CHRO in many ways is like, is like being a parent. You know, it's um, there's no owner's manual, 
and every day is a new adventure, and you look to people that you respect and admire, and you hope that you know you know it takes a village, um, and you hope that most things uh, turn out well, and if they don't, that you can move forward. Um, and um, but yeah, I mean, I think ninety percent confidence, ten percent huge self doubt, and I think that's probably about the right ratio because you know, it, and you know, it, it keeps me pretty humble most of the time. I unfortunately, I mean, I've got a great group of colleagues who are TripAdvisor, and it is a very safe space for failure, um, and for crazy ideas, and for stuff that's nuts, and for things where you say, I don't know the answer to this, um, which is. Which helps, I think, us all work better. And this is a safe place to do it at TripAdvisor. Sure. Yeah, That's great. Sure. That's a great culture. Um, so, so since we're on a podcast, the Hennessy Report, and it's Hennessy Report for HR, and it's so this little ac- okay. you know, oh, look at, I, acronym I get, there. I get so it. get it yes, now. I get it, yeah. But I'm bummed. Um, you listen to podcasts. I do. So in addition to the Hennessy Report, what else do you listen to? Uh, well, I, um, I might have told you over that lunch, I turned off the TV back in November because I don't really watch much TV anymore. Um, but I love podcasts. Um, I love them because I think it's a really great way to have a long-form, in-depth sink into something. So I listen to a lot of things. Um, I love This American Life. I have been a This American Life listener for more than 15 years at this point. Um, before they were podcasts. Before they were podcasts. Uh, before they were podcasts, when they would be broadcast on Saturday afternoon on NPR. And then I remember being so excited when they finally became a podcast. Because I got access to then all these back episodes that I've never... Um, I've really lately been enjoying the um, uh, WBUR and New York Times collaboration Modern Love, the Modern Love podcast. Um, They're short, they're 20 minutes. Um, I uh, love the longer form stuff like Serial and S Town. Mm, Heard a lot about those, yeah. And uh, and then I listen to a lot of specialty podcasts, very similar to this one. uh, that in the HR field, uh, or um, um, is there anything in the HR field that you listen to? It's really, honestly, I don't listen to a lot in the HR field for no reason other than my time to listen to podcasts is so limited that I tend to try to listen to things totally outside of It's your my, escape. Spending my... my uh, on Route 128. Route 128 or if I'm yeah. driving to pick up my uh, summer camp or going you know, to the beach right. or whatever. Um, and, uh, but I have a lot of hobbies and uh, Dave, you know that I have horses and ride horses and um, you know, so I... And I did, that's a part of my life that I really enjoy, that kind of lifelong learning. And so I tend to listen to a lot of stuff in that domain that's sort of interesting and, um, and makes me think about something that's not working, not my kids, because I also believe, uh, or my family, because I also believe that you're a better professional and you're a better member of your family if you've got something just for yourself, a passion that is all your own, um, and you have that kind of balance. So um, I love podcasts. So I hope your viewers like this one as well. I think they will. And thank you so much for being on the Hennessy Report. It is my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Dave. I'm glad our lunch conversation came to this great fruition. Me too. All right. See you soon. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button. 